For those of you that attended our business meeting that we had back in February, at the devotional time of that meeting, I, I shared with you a passage of Scripture out of Second Kings that I said, you're going to hear again, and that when you hear it again, it would be at a meaningful time. And so today I want to share with you out of Second Kings chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, and the, the title of my message this morning is, A Valley Full of Ditches. This is a significant time for us, and uh, we as a church, and there's some things that you're going to hear about today that uh, I trust will add to your anticipation, but let me begin by just asking God's blessing. Would you stand with me as we just ask the Lord for His touch this morning? Father, there are times that we take for granted what it means to be called a child of the Most High. We live at a level that oftentimes doesn't display your glory in the way that you hope to. We sometimes allow little things into our life that makes us feel as if we are less than what you hoped that we would be. And I pray today that you would begin to challenge us in spirit, that the plans that you have for us are greater than what we can think or imagine. Because you are God, and there is nothing you can't do. And so, Lord, I pray that over these next few moments of the Word and even over our business meeting that you would add your anointing and that you would elevate our thoughts and elevate our minds into the realm of what you can accomplish with those who will honor you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Two months ago, I asked our staff and our board to join me in studying a book together that we have been using not only as a devotional within our board meetings, but also as a conversation starter on what it means as leaders to seize the power of God-given moments. The book is called Chasing Daylight by Erwin McManus, who pastors a church called Mosaic in Los Angeles. One of the things that he describes within that book is that there are a handful of moments a few decisions that we each make in our life that literally shape the texture of what happens in our lives. In fact, depending on how old you are, there probably are five or six defining moments where as you look back at your life, you realize that the decisions that you made in those particular moments radically altered the trajectory that you were going. And here is what God is dealing in my life currently, as I'm very transparent with you. I have spent a large portion of my ministry trying to lead and manage God's church in such a way that God wouldn't have to do anything spectacular. In fact, if the miracle of salvation took place on a regular basis, fantastic. Those who are baptized in the Holy Spirit, fantastic. Those are marvelous miracles, but I've tried to, to manage and lead where I didn't put too much pressure on God to have to do anything spectacular. And God began to deal with me in such a way that He's brought me to a place where I understand that lead people in such a way that the circumstances of our lives or of our church never require Him showing His full power leaves people with an understanding that God may not be all-powerful. You see, we want to see miracles. We want to 
see God do great things and yet we can spend our lives avoiding the context and sometimes even avoiding obedience to follow a direction that God may be leading where miracles absolutely must happen if we are to see Him be God in all ways. And so I've been challenged that I have been leading and even living in some way a very risk-free life so that God wouldn't have to do anything spectacular. Being challenged in my spirit that those days are over that there is a new direction God wants to do a new thing and that through it we as a church and as a congregation will see the hand of God in some new and powerful ways in 2nd Kings chapter 3 verses 16 through 18 there are these verses that are given to us And he said, this being Elisha, the prophet, that this is what the Lord says. Make this valley full of ditches. For this is what the Lord says. You will see neither wind nor rain, yet this valley will be filled with water. And you, your cattle, and the other animals will drink. Verse 18, this is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. He will also hand Moab over to you. The context of this chapter is this. Israel was entering into war with Moab. Moab, uh, when King Ahab had been alive, had been offering uh, a tribute of sheep and wool. And after Ahab died, they felt, you know what, we no longer respect the new leader of this uh, kingdom, so we're not going to do that anymore. And so the king of Israel and Judah and Edom joined forces to march against Moab so that they would uh, be defeated and fulfill their responsibilities. And in the direction that God had given them, rather than taking a shortcut to attack the Moabites, the Lord led them seven days through a desert. In the middle of this seven-day march, they discovered that they were missing one thing that was vital for living, and that is water. And so as they grew thirstier and recognized that their armies and their animals would die without water, they came to their senses and decided to go and speak to the servant of God, the prophet of God, which was Elijah, Elisha, and ask him what they should do. And there's a really fascinating passage within there because Elisha had been being ignored. These kings were not necessarily uh, serving God with all their hearts. And when they came to ask him, he was so angry with them, he told them, he says, I've got to go and worship before I can even talk to you or I'm afraid of what I might say to you. Have any of you ever been there? And so Elisha says, I've got to put my worship on or I'm just going to blast you guys. So. so Elisha calls for the harpist and the minstrels and they come and sing. And after a while, his spirit calms and God speaks to him and gives him direction. And this, what we read, is what he told them. God wants you to go and dig ditches in this valley and that he will provide the water for you. There are a lot of useful lessons to be gathered out of this narrative. But what we see is that there are three kings and three armies well-skilled in war that were gathered to subdue an enemy. And yet, in all of their skills, they were brought to a standstill by a simple circumstance because there was a lack of water. How easily God can bewilder all of the wisdom and strength of man when he wants us to focus on him. Out of the many points that we could bring up this morning, I want to focus on three things. Number one, our position as it's set forth by the condition of these kings. Number two, our duty as told to us by the prophet. And three, the Lord's mode of operation. The first point, our present position. 
While these kings and armies were walking in obedience, they found themselves in a circumstance that was beyond their ability to change. They found themselves in a place of utter dependence, and the Lord had led them there. They were dying of thirst. They could not, by their own skill, supply their need. It must require the help of God, or they were doomed. They needed His provision. So God had led them to a place of dependence. I believe that there are times when in each of our individual lives and in in a church as a whole that God wants to lead us into places where we must be utterly dependent upon Him or we can't survive. He leads us to places where He said, I want to show you that I am God and the only way I can do this is to move you out of your self-sufficiency and bring you in obedience to a place where you have to depend upon me. I've discovered in my life that when I'm in those places, the intensity of my prayer life ramps up. How many of you have been there? When you suddenly recognize there's nothing you can do except call upon God, and we get really intense when we start to depend on Him in those ways. Grace Assembly has been experiencing undoubtedly the blessing of God. And we feel strongly that he is leading us at a church, as a church. And his leading and blessing does not come without some growing pains and without some spiritual tension. I've asked each of our associate pastors to spend, I told them, between three and five minutes each to give us a current update on what is happening within their ministries that plays a role in what we are going to be doing today. And we're going to start with Pastor Julie to come and share with us between three and five. I'm going to try and get better. I'm gonna t- <laughs> I'll try to do better than <laughs> I did the first service. Um, <laughs> for children's ministry, we um, function in three different ways to disciple our kids, to grow their relationship with Christ, and then to evangelize, to invite others to have a relationship with Christ. And those three ways are uh, Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, and then uh, events. So right now, on a Sunday morning, we can have anywhere from 60 to 75 kids. Um, That's nursery to our crossover group. Um, If all the kids that we had influence in their life showed up on one Sunday, we would not fit downstairs. The way that families work nowadays is they don't come every week. Maybe kids are visiting different family members and such. Um, But if all of the kids did show up that we have influence in their lives, if they were to show up, we just wouldn't have room. We wouldn't be able to fit them downstairs, which is really cool. That's a really good problem to have, right? Um, Wednesday nights. If you can picture down in that um, fellowship hall, those little cubby rooms, they're like the cinder block rooms that aren't really rooms, but we call them rooms. (laughs) Um, Those classrooms, there's one right now that has 23 girls in it on a Wednesday night. They are shoved in that little room, 23 girls. That's crazy, right? Again, a good problem to have, though. But here's the limiting factor. When they're shoved in that little room and trying to have some fun and learn about Jesus— they're probably not thinking, man, I want three of my friends from class to come do this with me because they're not going to fit, right? So we almost limit their little uh, missionary hearts when we don't have enough room to fit their friends in here to hear about Jesus. Um, Another part that we're realizing is just our our whole facility. Um, It it won't fit trunk or treat. You know, this year, this fall, when we don't have a trunk or treat event, our community is going to notice. They're going to miss it. They're probably going to be sad about that. We saw when we did the spring outreach for Easter, it was the first year, we gave out 400 bags to kids. That's not counting any adults that came. 
So we're having a lot of people come for our events because we have built that city on a hill, and now we're a light. And our light is shining in the community. And so when they see our name, they know, hey, let's go do that event because we like those people. <laughs> They're really nice, and they do a good job. So praise the Lord for that. But we're, we're limited here because we just don't have the space to accommodate what we can do. And I'm sad that we would have to take away an evangelistic outreach because we just don't have room. That's not good, right, family? Let's get a bigger place. <laughs> Let's trust God that he is growing this family like in a house, right? When you got to get a bigger house, we need a bigger church because we're growing. And it isn't just with numbers. I am seeing these kids grow spiritually, and I am so blessed by it. And I hope you are too. I hope you're seeing that at home too. The questions that they're asking, the verses that they bring up, like they are growing. And I want their friends to be able to come grow too. So I will stop talking because I'm sure I'm over. But thank you <laughs> for listening to me, Babylon. Pastor Doug is already exercising that faith by having three pastors try to speak in a span of 9 to 15 minutes. Um, I, I, I want to start by saying I love, that, I love that we are having this conversation I find in our lives, too frequently, our conversations are about, this isn't working, this is broken, this is dying, and we need to do something desperate now, because if we don't, it's going to be gone. And I love that this conversation is, things are broken, but for great reasons, and that, that if we don't do something, we miss out on an opportunity. Um, those are, I, I feel like we need more conversations like that in our lives, because I think too frequently we have the other. At the beginning of this school year, um, our first Wednesday night back from our little two-week break at the end of August, I kind of half-jokingly, half-seriously said to our students that were there gathered for our first Wednesday night meeting, you realize if half of you brought a friend next week, we wouldn't be able to fit in here. And um, one, this unique thing happens when teenagers gather together, specifically young boys. The barometric pressure begins to change in a small room. Clouds begin forming. The humidity begins to rise. Um, but uh, the, we got to a point, it, it had gotten to a point where in the youth space that we had, it was just uncomfortable to be in. And that was before any of them necessarily had, had brought any of their friends. And so that, that, that next day, I talked to Pastor Doug. I was like, I kind of joked about this. But then after the fact, I thought, uh-oh, this is a big problem. I said, we don't fit any longer uh, in, in the youth room. And I said, There's, there is one space in the church that might work, but we're going to have to convince the adults. And so we, uh, they're much more forgiving than the teenagers. And so we said, adults, you may come into this lovely room, <laughs> the small room, and we're going to take over your space. And the, the reactions was, were kind of fun uh, that following Wednesday when the students came in and we ushered them into here. And the adults, we said, please go this way. There's a great space for you down the hall. Um, God is doing some really cool things, some, some really neat things, and, uh, and we're excited to be a part of it. Um, but the reality is that was a reactive response to the growth that God is, is doing. And we don't want to constantly be reactive because if we're constantly being reactive, we eventually run out of opportunities and places. And so we want to be proactive about what it is that, that God is doing. Um, there's this unique, uh, if you are a teenager or were ever a teenager or have a teenager, there is one place in their life that is outside of maybe the church sanctuary, the Holy of Holies, and that's their bedroom. It's their space. It's their safe place. It's their place. 
And uh, that has been something in grace forever that has been a unique um, character of, of grace is that there was the remnant room. This was their place, their safe space. And as thankful as we are that we have a space as large as the sanctuary and our church board and church members have been gracious with any stains and drops and things that have happened in here. Um, there is this need for them to have their space where they can grow and stretch and where they can bring their friends. We teach uh, the gospel, but when we teach the gospel, it is for a specific reason. As we begin to understand who Jesus is and what he has done for us, the intention is that we would share it with as many as possible. And so we can't set these students up for success and giving a reason for the hope they have in Christ and not have a place that we can then receive those students when they make a life change. And we're not talking just about a physical structure that needs to grow, but the reality is as people grow, um, we can't serve the same number of students um, that we have now as we continue to grow. Statistics are showing us that for students to maintain a relationship with Christ, it requires three healthy adult interactions of people who are healthy followers of Christ. The statistics also show that each individual leader can have up to five healthy interactions with students. Um, relationships with students. So when you begin to do the math, you begin to realize that there begins to be a separation as the the groups grow, our need for workers continue to grow. And so as God wants to, to expand and grow our physical boundaries of our church building, there's a lot of ways needs for him to grow our physical comfortability in serving and opportunities that we have to invest in the lives of the people that attend their church from birth through 199. Uh, and so prayerfully consider how it is that God is enlarging your ability to serve and capacity to serve there as well. Thanks. Hello. I'm Pastor Jeff. I'm uh, the discipleship pastor here at Grace. I'm also involved in a lot of other different areas at Grace. Um, But first to talk to you a little bit about discipleship is I deal a lot with uh, small groups and trainings and teaching and connecting with new believers and things like that. And on Wednesday night, as you have already heard, we were banished to the room that had the barometric pressure stuff. And so I have come out of that room when the adults had been in there and remember thinking, wow, the air in the hall is significantly thinner than the air that is in that room. It's physically more difficult to walk in that room. Um, but we've, been, we've loved being in there. But the problem that we have noticed is, is that if we wanted to do anything else with the adults on Wednesdays, there's only one other room that we can jam people into. And it's typically a room that we usually use for storage. So we have this great problem where the children's ministries on Wednesday nights, they have grown so much that they use literally every single room except for two. And we use one for the adults, and we only have this one other. And I would love for us to be able to have other availabilities, other classes, other trainings, other things that we could do with the adults on Wednesday nights when the rest of the family is already going to be there anyways. It would be great if we, would be able to, if we were able to do that, but we are limited in being able to do so. So there are things right now that we have to overcome this hurdle that in order for us to do what we feel that God is trying to call us to do. 
Um, this other aspect is some of the things that I've already mentioned is, is we use a room for storage. It would be great if we had something else to be able to jam that stuff into. But we play this very, uh, very awesome game of when something goes on in one room, we, get, we evacuate the room and we push it to a different room. And then we go to use this other room and we go, oh, wait. And then we have to move that stuff back to the room that we, put it, that we took it from. And so we go back and forth like a ping pong, going back and forth with all of this junk that isn't really junk, but there isn't any place to put it. And so we find that a lot of our resources, time, and energy is just moving stuff back and forth to just use a room. Uh, the other aspect that I, uh, that I do here at Grace is, is I'm uh, the office administrator. And for those of you who have seen that office back there, it is very small. I am constantly looking around wondering, where did this come from? And the reason why I wonder that is because everybody uses that. There's no other space for that. So there are people constantly on the administrator computer and so there's sensitive stuff there, and people are using that. Why? Because they have to. With all of our departments using more and more digital resources and things like that, they need to use that computer so they can print things out and things like that. And the only thing is, is that sometimes things get changed and things can move back and forth. The only other option would be is let's have another computer. The only problem is, is where are you going to put the other computer? It's not, there, there, there's nowhere. That you can't put it anywhere. And so um, that's another space issue that we have. And finally, we have this stage. Um, we have expanded this stage, but guess what? We can't expand any further. This place is already full enough. We can't go further this way. And this is great for Sunday mornings. We have, you know, uh, we have uh, the instrumentalists and we have the vocalists. But if there's anything else that needs to happen on this stage... All of this has to be moved. If there's ever to be a wedding here, all of it has to be moved. All of the wires, all the power cords, the microphones, the instruments, everything. And wouldn't it be great if we were to have a stage where stuff could actually remain where it is and that we don't have to ha- play this constant game on every Sunday morning wondering what has changed, what has moved, what is this, what is that. But that is a reality that we have had to deal with because there's no other space to put things. And we have to use this space, and that's where all of this other stuff comes into play. So all of these are restrictions. All of this is because we're growing. All of that is awesome, and I'm thankful that God has put us in the opportunity here to, uh, to continue to grow and to trust him. And one of the things that I am thankful for is I am thankful for the leadership that God has placed at this church at this time to help walk alongside us and lead us as we move forward to what God has called us to do. And we are thankful for Pastor Doug, are we not? And not only... Absolutely. And this has been a special day because we are talking about, as a family, how to move forward, but this is also a special day for a different reason. And it is Pastor Doug's birthday. So, as I am not musically inclined, I would love for you to sing happy birthday. I'm sorry, it's time. (laughs) So sing with me. 
Happy birthday. Thank you. I love you. Thank you. Way to kill an anointing. <laughs> as you can see, by the way, we are reaping as a church the benefit of having highly skilled, marvelously anointed staff and what they do. Because of what Pastor Julie does down there, we have kids that come to events and then tell their parents, we want to go to that church. And I've said it before, dads choose the car, mom chooses the house, and children choose the church. And we are seeing that happen. Um, we obviously are in a place where, and I've stated it for a long time since I first got here, we knew that our location was a detriment. This is a difficult place to find. We have the most unusual parking set up in all of the state. I've been to, I think, every Assembly of God church there is in our state, and there's none of them that have anything close to what we have here. And I understand that there was quite a, because we had a business meeting after the first service, that they left a little later, and that there was a, a, a clogging of traffic of people trying to get in and people leaving today. Uh, we also have here uh, a property that we cannot develop any further than what it is. Because of the topology of what we have, if we were to make any changes, we literally would flood our neighbors out that are below us. And so we have that as a limiting factor. Uh, I have a neighbor that lives just down the street from me that does not go to this church, but his kids will not miss an event that takes place here. And he told us, he said, we had heard about the events that Grace Assembly puts on, and so we couldn't wait to get here. And he said, the influence that your church has in our community, says everybody talks about you, that the first time that we pulled up, we expected to see a mega church, and when we pulled up and saw your church, we went, really? And I said, it's the people. We've got great people. And so here's where we find ourselves. Just like those kings were dependent upon God to supply water for their survival, we are absolutely dependent upon God to lead us and guide us into what He wants for us. But we must rely on the Holy Spirit's power and presence. Otherwise, our religion, our activities, our departments become a mockery before God and they become a misery to ourselves. And so we must have the aid of the Holy Spirit because ours is not a mechanical religion. And that's what people are finding when they come here. Last week, there was a young lady that gave her heart to the Lord in one of the services. And she said, from the moment I walked in, I have never been in a place in my life that made me feel as at home as Grace Assembly did from the first time I walked in because it's not mechanical, it's relational. And the Lord says to us that without me, you can do nothing. It moves in the scripture then to our duty. The prophet did not tell the kings where they could go to get water because that was outside of their power. But he did say to them, the Lord wants you to make this valley full of ditches 
in preparation for what he wants to do. So that when the revival comes, when the rain comes of his spirit, what you have built is reservoirs that can contain what provision God is bringing to you. And so you must work to build those. God made it clear that the digging of the ditches is their business and that the filling of the ditches was his business. If we expect to obtain the Holy Spirit's blessing, we must prepare for his reception. We must make this valley full of ditches to prepare for what God is going to do. Now, most of you have come on Interstate 81 and you're moving north over that at night and you come over and you see the dome that's glowing from the light within it. You see the lights of the the city of Syracuse laid out before you and you recognize that we literally are living in a valley. And as I was reading this scripture, I couldn't help but the Spirit impressing upon my heart that the influence that God desires of Grace Assembly is to dig ditches all over this valley in preparation for a mighty outpouring of His Holy Spirit that will literally change the direction that Syracuse has been going. That He is saying to us, you've seen success in a few ministries There are things that God has placed upon your hearts, ideas and ministries that you want to be a part of that we simply cannot start here. But it's not that we are to cap it. We are to start digging ditches and let the Lord fill those up by the power of His Holy Spirit. There have been people that have been praying and fasting for a revival to break out in our city and I do not want it to pass us by without the opportunity that God will give us to dig ditches and watch what he does. In Isaiah 54, 2, it says, Enlarge the place of your tent. Let them stretch your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. Why does it say this? Because if we will enlarge the tent, the Lord will bring the people in. If we prepare for the growth, God will bring it. It's not something we can create. Most people say, well, you know, of course, if God sends a blessing, then we must enlarge. But I want you to understand that the mindset of waiting until all of the conditions are perfect brings you to a place of hesitancy. And we can see all of the reasons why we can't do something. But when the Spirit says go, if we go, He will provide what He wants to accomplish. Believe with me that a promise of the Word of God is as good as fulfilled when we walk in it. God will not lie to us. He promises that if we act on his word, that we will live as if it's already fulfilled and that we will see it done. And so we are going to prepare largely. And we are going to make this valley full of ditches. Not one trench, but as many as possible. For when God works, he will work like he is God. And we will sit back amazed. God is not restrained. What he wants to do in this church and through this church will not make him poor. Nor will he make us poor. He's waiting for us to dig ditches so that he can outpour his spirit upon us. I have had some questions. 
People have asked me as we've talked about this, well, Pastor, why, why do we always have to have something bigger and better? Why, why can't we ever just be satisfied? And it's called me to prayer about my own motives as we lead in this direction. And, and those men who are close to me that I've had pray with me, I've, I've asked them as they said, how can we pray with you? I said, pray that my motives remain. Not that we can build a church where we say to everybody, look what we've done, but that God would be glorified. That as he leads, his kingdom grows. He gets the glory and we have just walked in obedience. Because here's what he spoke to me. We should never be satisfied with what God is doing in the conversion of souls. We should be grateful, but we should always hunger for more. If he gives us ten souls on a Sunday morning, we should pray that the next week he gives us a hundred. If he gives us a hundred souls the next week, we should pray that the next week he gives us a thousand. You see, it's not us building the kingdom. It's souls that a hundred years from now will either be in heaven or they'll be in hell based on the obedience that we had to the moving of the Holy Spirit. And so we are told to make this valley full of ditches and that we should be insatiable for the lost in our pursuit of them. There are those that will say, well, why can't we just wait? Wait until the conditions are perfect. Wait until everything is ready. Most of you know that have lived any length of time, if you wait for perfect conditions, you never do anything. Because perfect conditions never come. But the Lord says to go and to do and that he will provide. I believe with all of my heart in the Spirit of God. I do not believe that when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon our congregation that they sit back in laziness and go into a survival mode or just say it's good enough because when God is in something, it will be healthy and it will grow because healthy things always grow. Philippians chapter 2.13 says this, For it is God who works in you to will and to act to fulfill his good purpose. In other words, he works in us and through us and he gets the glory as he fulfills what he desires to do. And so I want each and every one of you to feel as if God is about to bless this church in ways that he's never done before. We are about to approach our 100th centennial celebration. We turn 100 years old in January of 2018 and you're going to be hearing more about a celebration And as I have gone over the list and the notes of everything that God has done, I celebrate that I can be a part of a church that has such a great history. But a hundred years from now, should the Lord tarry, I don't want to have people read that we capped it here and said it's good enough because there is a greater city yet to be reached. And God is raising up people full of the Holy Spirit to reach them. And so we must prepare to labor. And God will prepare to bless our labor. Is it not written that Paul plants and Apollos waters? And then what happens? God gives the increase. So enlarge your desires. Enlarge your desires for more of God personally. Enlarge your desires for more faith to believe his word. Enlarge your desires for what you want to see God accomplish through you. And enlarge your desires for what God's plans are for our church. Because the Bible says, ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. One more thing before I leave this point. I pray that God begins to raise up within all of us a greater confidence in his word. God has called us to be people of faith. 
There have been times when I have led in such a way that faith was not required and I am being challenged that those days have got to be behind me because the time is growing short. The time is growing short. We live in a violent, evil world. And if we do not declare the goodness and the salvation of the Lord, there will be people that will never hear. It's time for us to believe what God says and put our trust in it. Not that we may win souls, but that we must win souls. And lastly, the Scripture talks about the divine operation. Elisha was asked what they should do, and God spoke to him and said that they were to build ditches and that God would divinely fill those. There's an interesting thing that takes place because when Elijah was the prophet and Elijah worked with him, Elijah climbed a mountain and prayed and after seven times saw the, the, a cloud the size of a man's hand and he rushed off the mountain saying, I've heard in my spirit prophetically the sound of a mighty rushing wind. It's coming. There's going to be a storm. And, and he knew it because he could hear it. But when it came to Elisha, God said, dig the ditches and you will never hear the wind. You will not see the rain you will wake up one morning and those trenches will be filled. Every inch that you have worked to provide, I will fill them. And that's exactly what happened as they woke up one morning and suddenly from the east, the water was flooding into everywhere that they had prepared. God's not going to do the same thing that he did 50 years ago here. He's going to do it by a different means. Revival will look different this time around than it did last time around. And for those of you who have hung on to that promise, I want you to know God is not going to let us see what we expect. He's going to bring something that will be uniquely Him and His fingerprints will be all over it and we will give Him glory. But it's not going to look the same way it did when this church was built in the early 70s. It will look different, but it will be divine in nature. You see, in verse 18, at the end of all of that, he says, it's but a light thing for God. It's but a light thing for God to bring provision. And then at the end of that, he said, oh, by the way, you will defeat the Moabites as kind of a side benefit to all of that. You're going to have victory, but just know that God is already ahead of you. I can't do God's part, and God won't do our part.